This episode is brought to you by Broad Street Publishing. What I was thinking about was getting my life back on track. At the top of the list for me was to not be defined by my worst moment. Successful CEO and convicted felon, Jay Coughlin, joins us on this episode. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Hey, 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 welcome to episode 16 of the Bold Idea Podcast. I'm Larry Gates and I'm with my friend Armin Asadi. Hello, Armin. How are you, Larry? I am well. And hello, our friends listening in on this episode. Thank you for being a part of our show and our community. And boy, we just really appreciate that and the feedback that we've gotten on these first dozen or so episodes that we put together. That's well, right. And this one is going to be the next best thing. Yes, it is. Because it <laughs> each one gets better. It, it is. And you know what? We have had some really great, great guests on this program. And this is a special one for you and I because yeah. we both have a lot of familiarity with this guest. That's right. He's not just a guest. He's a friend and That's someone right. we've known for, for some time. We are privileged to have Jay Coughlin on the program. He is the former CEO of Lawson Software and XRS Corporation. Now, he took Lawson Software from $200 million to $500 million in an IPO that was the third largest in Minnesota history at the time. He's also the chairman of the Minnesota Teen Challenge. If you live in the Minnesota area, you know this is an excellent organization that helps youth and adults alike escape addiction of many kinds, but he's got a heart for that. And he's also the CEO of True Balance, an executive coaching firm. Now, he has just recently written a book called Five Bold Choices, Rise Above Your Circumstances and Redefine Your Life. And he's a guy that knows something about rising above his circumstances. Yeah, that's right. Well, Jay Coughlin, welcome to the Bold Idea Podcast. So good to have you here with us. Thanks for having me, guys. Oh, it is so great to have you. Both Armin and I have known you for years and we know quite a bit, not as much nearly as you do, but we know quite a bit about your backstory. And we know our audience is going to enjoy that in hearing from you today about some of the lessons that you've learned. So I don't want to waste any time with you know familiarities here. I want to just dive right into this because, Jay, you had a defining moment in your life. And some of us can look back and say, you know, those were significant defining moments for me. But when I heard your story for the first time, probably 10 years ago, it like that is what would be called a defining moment. So what happened back in 1998? Well, Larry, my parents were in from Philadelphia and was around the holidays and they were in for the holidays and had a great time. And January 3rd, 1998, my dad and I went out to a local hunt club, had a great day. Afterwards, made the mistake of going to a bar and staying too long. And driving home drunk, I missed a, I missed a turn. I went down a hill and I hit a train at 60 miles an hour. Mm. And I don't remember much about that because, you know, you have to go back and relive it in a trial, but I don't remember much. But I do mm -hmm. remember waking up in Hennepin County Medical Trauma Center and I'm a mess. Mm -hmm. I'm, a, I'm, I'm really in a bad spot. And I'm in a lot of pain and I have a lot of people working on me and I'm looking around and I'm trying to put the pieces together. And I look up and I see my mom and I see my wife and I could just see something was terribly wrong. Mm-hmm. And my mom leaned down to me and said, your dad didn't make it. And I was like, what? And she said, your dad didn't make it. And I'm going to tell you, you don't know what pain is until mm -hmm. you hear something like that. Mm -hmm. That emotional pain made the physical pain just, you know, scaled it 
dramatically mm. different. I mean, I just went to a place that was really, really ugly. Mm. And for the next few days, I would go through a lot of operations. And all I remember is being in pain, being tormented. I'd be in my hospital room, and I looked at the end of the bed, and there was a clock. And I could see it like it was yesterday, and it was a clock with the the black you know, letters um, and had a red second hand on it. And I would close my eyes and I would just go to some place that was so ugly, I would only describe it as hell. Mm. And if hell's worse than that, I don't want anything to do with it. <laughs> and I, and, and I, would, I would wake up thinking hours went by, sweating, and maybe five, six minutes went by. And that's where I was. Mm. And I was just, for me, just in a terrible spot. My wife looked in my eyes, told me later, she said, I looked at you and you were gone and you weren't coming back. Wow. Priests and pastors are coming into the room, and I have no foundation in faith at all at this mm-hmm. point in my life. I mean, I grew up Catholic. And how old are you, just to put a context to that? Okay. 38. Mm-hmm. No real, I grew up Catholic, but by name only. Mm-hmm. I'm kicking them out of the room. I'm saying, you know, get out. Don't you understand? I'm responsible for my dad's death. Mm. I've killed my father. Get out. And that's really where I was for, you know, let's just say this, three, four days. It was a bad spot. And then what happens is one day nobody's in the room, and a total stranger walks in, and he's using words like forgiveness and sinner. Mm. And I said, you know, I feel like I'm at the top of the sinner list. You know, I was drinking and driving, responsible for my dad's death. And he said, you say this prayer with me to receive Christ, and you'll receive forgiveness. And I said a prayer to receive Christ. I admitted I was a sinner. I asked him into my life. I, I wanted to follow him, and it was like, it was like, bam. It was like the Holy Spirit just came in and connected right to my soul. Mm. It was like I exhaled all that guilt. Mm. I mean, I, it, was, it was like a physical thing. And then he left. And I don't know how much time went by, but my wife walked in later. She said, I saw a completely different person, and I turned and I looked at her, and I said, hey, hon, I just accepted Jesus in my life. Wow. Yeah. Now, was she a believer at that time? You know, she accepted the Lord earlier in her life at like a church camp, mm-hmm. so she was. But I would say as the spiritual leader of the house, which I wasn't, I was leading her away from Christ. I mean, mm-hmm. if you had asked me that and said you were leading your, your wife away at the time, I would say, no, I'm not. I mean, I go to church occasionally, mm-hmm. but I was because I wasn't doing anything proactive. Mm-hmm. Now, on her side of the story, since she thinks I'm gone, she's on her knees for three days. Oh, yeah. Praying to the Lord, bring my husband back. If you bring my husband back, you know, it was one of those kind of prayers, I'll do anything. You know, he's, we got this journey in front of us, it's hard, which I don't even know about yet. But she's just praying, praying, praying on, for these three days. Yeah. So imagine the reaction when she walks in out of blue. I turn and I look at her and I go, hey, hon, I just accepted Jesus in my life. Now, I got to ask you this, Jake. Oh, wow. Was that one of her prayers or was she just like, just praying for your physical salvation. Right? I, I think all the above. You know, yeah. I, here, here's what I say, Larry. You yeah. know, if you really want to get a message to God, you don't talk to me. Talk to my wife. <laughs> That's true. I've met her. Right, because the reality is she had some kind of communication going on. There. Oh, yeah. What was different, though? So what was different between the priests walking in the room and this mysterious guy walking in the room? Like, what changed in that moment? You know, I don't know, because a lot of it's a, a fog for me anyway, but but the priests were in, and the and priests and pastors, because there was more than one. Right. I just associated that with something that was not who I was. Mm. You know, I had no right to be seeing somebody like that. I was, you know, I got, a, I got something I did here that's tragic. So it was just, you know, it was filled with every emotion you can imagine, but at the top of the list was anger. You know, and I just, yeah. you know, get out, get out. So when the total stranger came in, I got no idea. And by the way, I'm, 
I'm administering morphine at a, at a rate of <laughs> as quick as I could because all, all the physical pain, but I would argue the emotional pain as well. Right, right? Sure. Right. And when he's coming in, when he starts using the words like forgiveness and sinner, and I don't know who he is at all. Sure. For some reason, those words were the ones that were connecting for me. And I think that's why I was probably listening to him versus anybody else that I wasn't even, you know, I couldn't even hear. I mean, I could see my wife talking, but I couldn't hear her. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation yeah. like that where you're like, I could see her. I see she's talking to me, but I, I, I'm, I'm somewhere else. Wow. You know, it was, it was that bad. Now, that's my answer. My real answer, though, is, you know, obviously it was a God thing. And, yeah. you know, he, he had other plans for me in terms of, okay, we're going to start a different journey here. Yeah, isn't it great he knew just what you needed? You needed to come in with somebody who was an ordinary guy that didn't have any preconceptions on your part just to speak the words you need to hear yeah i went and tracked him down he because i'm like oh i gotta find out you found him oh yeah man he was like a street preacher is that right yeah he was my my mother-in-law knew my mother-in-law who was born again knew him and happened to mention something to him Hmm. so he just decided to take it on himself and come in and, and see me so I track him down like a year later, you know. Oh, he wasn't just making rounds. He, you were a target. He was a, I was a target. So I, 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 go, I go, look, man, I got I got to thank you for coming in. Guys, ah, no big deal. I go, hey, man, I think it was <laughs> well, a big deal. That is a big deal. I, I think it was a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> you know? and, and he goes, no, it wasn't a big deal. I go, well, you know, I just got to ask you, did 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 I say the prayer? God, that's the real thing. I want to, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you were, was you I were making this up? up you know? right? <laughs> and he goes, oh yeah, we definitely said it. He goes, man, you were a mess. <laughs> I go, as long as I said it, he goes, no, yeah, we definitely said it. So you know, I was like, great. You, know? you want to make sure he, it doesn't uh, the morphine thing. Pastor Paul he died about two years ago. Oh, you know, man. He passed away, yeah. But, you know, he was definitely living, you know, not on the streets, but that's really where his ministry was. So he was tough, tough Reaching tough the fringe yeah. there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't matter. He, you know, yeah. I, I, he sort of blew it off. I go, gosh, you can't, I can't tell you how, <laughs> how important it was for me. You know? It's so neat that you went back. And it yeah. kind of reminds me of, you know, the story of the, of the blind man that came back to Jesus, you know, and said, hey, thank you. You know, that's cool. Yeah. That's yeah. neat that you did that. I had to find him, make sure it wasn't some angel or something. Just, you know, <laughs> I was like, is this real? <laughs> you know. Talk about your dad, Jay. You, you mentioned in your book that he was your best friend. Yeah, he's, he's an interesting guy. I mean, he's a blue collar guy, big tough guy, borderline wise guy type of thing. Where I grew up in Philly was a, was a tough neighborhood. Define wise guy. I think I know there's people listening that don't know what you mean by that. Well, if you ever seen the movie Goodfellow, that's a that's a version of it. You know where the the moral compass was a little bit left to center. You know, uh, <laughs> if something came from our house, a lot of times it was fell off a truck type of thing. Yeah, naturally. Yeah. So he, a lot of trucks out there losing yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, they don't know how to lock the doors. They just sort of bounced off and bounced right in our house. That's a pothole. You know? My mom would say, you know, uh, I don't want a green refrigerator, and I was like, mom. You you know, the truck didn't have white ones on it. This wasn't, wasn't, this wasn't Sears where we were ordering from, you know. Yeah. But Larry, the real answer is he, 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 he worked, you know, he was he instilled in me this work ethic because that was yeah. the one criteria you had to have in my house. You, you always had to work because he was always working. And I worked with him on the, you know, different jobs he was doing at times. And so he instilled in me that work ethic that was really, really valuable. But most important, you know, in this tough guy exterior, I knew he loved me. Mm. And the reason I did is because he told me. Mm. And not many men that, that have that. You know, I know a lot of guys, because I coach a lot of guys now, that struggle with relationship with their dads. Yeah. So my dad had a lot. Of, he wasn't perfect by far, nor am I, you know. But he did. He was focused on me. He loved me. And he was trying to do his best. 
in and amongst this crazy paradigm that he lived. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And so for the last 10 years of his life, or at least I'd say the last five, almost every Sunday him and I talked. Because I was living here in Minnesota and he was living back in Philly. Um, and even though he didn't know the corporate world, and uh, now I was in the corporate world, uh, I got great advice from him because he wasn't dialoguing with me from a point of view of you know, what was going on in technology. He was dialoguing with me what was going on with people. Yeah. Because if you were working on the streets like he was, being street smart was how he survived. Really, right. You know. So he was a he was a big asset for me and, and I loved him. So that's why in the the tragedy of what I did impacted me that much more. Mm-hmm. Because it was just not only my father, it was a friend's mentor, somebody yeah. I respected. That's why I was like, you know, when it, when it happened, I'm like, wow, I just took out a big piece of my life. You know? Yeah. Now, how did that accident affect you? You mentioned in your book that you had a list of goals that you made before the accident and then a list after and and i it was a good summary in your book on that but but why don't you tell our audience about that shift that happened in you well what what i would say is i know where i was spiritually in january of 1998 because i wrote it down (laughs) i'm a big goal setter and and i have all the goals so in that particular time when i went back i had 10 goals filled out about three pages Mm -hmm. the bottom of the third page barely fitting in i wrote number 10 spiritual and I wrote, have to go to church more often because my children need the guidance. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't need it. <laughs> my children need it. But you were going to model that I for them, right? I was going to model that like going every third Sunday or some version of that, right? You know? And so it was humbling for me to go back and read that because that's how far I came. Because now when I'm back, when I get through the, the, the rest of the story, but when I'm back to redoing my goals and getting my focus again, Faith becomes number one. Yeah. And then family and then friends and a bunch of other stuff. Now, if you had read the ones before, work was number one. Right. And career was number one. And then there were some other things filling in the bottom, right? You know? Yeah. So, arguably, uh, the whole prioritization of my my focus and goals changed after that accident. Yeah, so let's talk about that because that gets right down to where the rubber hits the road. Mm -hmm. You and I worked together when you were CEO at Lawson Software. Mm -hmm. I did some work for you then. And I know that you were were very driven as an executive. You Mm -hmm. had goals for your team. You knew what you wanted to do. And you ended up taking the company through an IPO. Mm -hmm. That was all in your new kind of Christian mind frame and as a believer. So how did the way you work change as a consequence of of you know of accepting Christ and 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 setting these new spiritual goals that you now have. You know, um, I think goals aside, I think the biggest thing the transformation did for me is it added humility mm-hmm. to my leadership style. So I was still, as you know, I was still very assertive, but before the accident, I would I would argue arrogant. I mean, before my accident, it was about me, 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 selfish, 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 and I would have done anything to anybody that was in front of me to get to wherever I needed to get to. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, after the accident, I still was assertive, but I had this level of humility that allowed me to get followers, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. And I think if you read anything on leadership, there's very few exceptions to the rule that most good leaders have humility. There is always an example of like a Steve Jobs out there, but they have to be off the charts in some other category, like his ability to innovate, to compensate for that. But most of the good leaders that I've studied and been a part of, humility is part of their game. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't the reason for me coming to Christ. It's not the importance in terms of eternal life, but in terms of leadership, adding humility to 
my style was, I think, directly resulted in me having followers, which I never would have had if I didn't have that mm-hmm. have, have that ability to actually care about other people in in addition to myself. Yeah, and then prioritize those cares over myself, which I didn't do before the accident. Mm-hmm. Did you find? any internal conflict as you were kind of reconciling yourself as a leader in the, you know, the before paradigm versus the after paradigm as you're making that, that, that switch, did you find yourself having to stop and say, you know what? No, I'm going to live under some different presuppositions now. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of big things and little things. I mean, that was the software in the early 2000s. There were a lot of growing up and maturity and the industry was going through And so there was all that. But I think probably the biggest area is my behavior started to change. So I'll give you some examples. There was a lifestyle of certain people going out to clubs and bars and, and all other places like that mm-hmm. that was part of the, the field organization's culture, customers' culture and all that. And that was part of who I, what I was doing as well. And when I came back, I'm like, well, I'm not doing that anymore. You know, I'd, I'd go have a two, uh, dinner or I might have a drink, but then you know, I wasn't going out to the – clubs and everything else that they were doing. So I just stopped doing it. Why? Because it was just not who I was now. Hmm. And I was quickly advancing again. So I was getting leadership roles of VP or whatever else. This is after the accident. After the accident. This so is after the court and all that stuff. After I got out of jail okay. and, and such. So now it was amazing to me that I didn't do it for any other reason. I, it wasn't like I was judging you. I was like, I'm just not doing it anymore. Mm-hmm. But I was surprised at how many other people stopped doing it, stopped going to the different clubs because they're like, well, if Jay's not going, I'm not going, mm-hmm. you know, or I don't have to go. Yeah. You know, there's no peer pressure. And I didn't do that out of like, follow me. That's why I wasn't this brave, bold statement, <laughs> right. you know. It's just, I'm not going to go. I, yeah. but it actually almost pillared out to zero. Yeah. And I think a lot of the people were going because of peer pressure. Yeah. And you gave people the freedom to say no, right, I, have that, right. I don't need that. And it's not expected of me because the senior leader isn't doing it. And I think it was powerful for me to see the influence you could have by your actions more than anything I was saying. Because I didn't really preach it. I just, I just stopped doing it. Yeah. You know, I didn't go, yeah. well, I'm not going to say, well, I'm not doing it anymore, Armin, so you don't have to go either. I just didn't show up. Mm-hmm. And once that happened, it was it, the paradigm shifted dramatically differently. And that started to change the culture, quite frankly. Yeah. This is the Bold Idea Podcast. He is admired or ridiculed, embraced or rejected. If you want to provoke controversy, just mention his name, Jesus. So how would Jesus respond to our politically correct culture? Find answers, provocative and practical, in the new book, The Politically Incorrect Jesus, Living Boldly in a Culture of Unbelief. Radio veteran Joe Battaglia exposes the intellectual dishonesty of our politically correct culture and suggests how a person of faith can respond to divisive issues without joining the culture war. The Politically Incorrect Jesus. Get it at retail and online. Did you think it was going to be different coming back in there now? I mean, you just went through court, you served time, you're a convicted felon at this point, and I can empathize. What did you think was going to happen going in? I can't imagine you thought, oh, I'm about to influence a lot of people and become a senior leader. You know, I don't think I gave that much thought. You know, what I was thinking about was, you know, getting my life back on track. At the top of the list for me was to not be defined by my worst moment. 
to make the choices that I was going to make that were going to allow me to be defined differently. And one of them, not the only one, was, you know, I'm going to get back to being a CEO. Mm. And here's the things I need to do. And I always describe I got a really small rearview mirror and a giant windshield. And I was just looking through that windshield saying, well, what else do I got to do? What do I have to you know, accomplish? What do I have to learn? Where do I got to get better? Who do I have to influence? Who do I need to, to lead? And I got lucky and got two good coaches along the way as well. And for me, that was more about what I was thinking then. Gosh, what's everybody going to think? Or what's everybody, you know, what are all my hurdles in the way? Because I just knew there was so many of them that to spend any time on that was, was just a waste of time for me. I can't tell you how many people, I mean, told me, you can't do this. Yeah, I hear it. And I was like, I can't spend any time listening to you. Right. Because it's, you know, that's just going to take me to a spot I don't want to go to or right. not going to go to. What were they saying that you couldn't do? Well, it was everything from, you know, even going back to work, you know, the jail thing. Yeah, how not, long were you in, in, in prison? Uh, six months six and months. then 10 years probation. So okay. even after you get out, you know, probation's, you know, arduous as well. I mean, yeah. You know, I was traveling every week. I go see probation officer. So they didn't think you could run an, an organization, a sizable, fast growing on its way to an IPO uh, organization. Yeah, arguably, you know, you, you could. I mean, so imagine this every time you travel, you got to go see your probation officer. You got to tell her where you're going. Or I don't have her. to imagine. Right. Well, you, know, right. Right. you know this, Drew. Right? You know? And then after you come back, right, you got to yeah. show them all the receipts where you've been and everything else. Well, yeah. I was traveling one, two times a week. Now, the average probation officer, that you know, they're looking to track people down, right? They can't even yeah. find some of these guys, right? right? And we're showing up like twice a week. We're actually a pain in our neck because you're like, you know, <laughs> I don't need to see you again. And right. I go, yeah, you do because this is the rules, right? <laughs> so all those kind of barriers were in the way. Sure. Then when the, the biggest one was when the public company stuff started to happen, and I found myself in a leadership position, there were a lot of people saying, well, you, you know, you got a, you're a convicted felon. You know, and you, now I, I was not a convicted felon in any kind of securities fraud. Yeah. Because I would have been Different. black and white. You wouldn't yeah. have been able to do it. But I was in that gray area that mm-hmm. I was saying. So what I had to do was I, I started to get out in front of my message. It's where actually I started to speak. I was saying, you know, I got to get out in front of this thing because this is all bad and I'm not going to hide it. Mm-hmm. There's an S1 that goes along with a public offering that's a looks like an encyclopedia, yeah, right? right? Talking about the mm-hmm. business. And in it is the executive team and the CEO's first. Yes. And then so there's like, you know, pages on you. Well, my first sentence is convicted felon. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just get that right out Boom. of the way. <laughs> and, and you know what? I had to because, and I would, in almost every banker meeting I was in, which there was hundreds of them, I hit it right up front because I had to get it behind me and get onto the story of why you're here. Mm-hmm. And if I couldn't get that behind me, then mm-hmm. I couldn't do it. So- for me, instead of trying to hide it, I got out in front of it. Mm-hmm. And then I had a couple uh, local reporters that I had articles written about me. One was Neil St. Anthony, a Star Tribune. And he did a fair article. I mean, it was hard, you know, but it, it was fair. And I was like, okay, now I'm out in front of this thing. I'm not hiding anymore because you're not going to be able to hide it. Right. And for me, once I got out in front of it, then it was part of who I was. And then, quite frankly, the faith-based ministry started to you know, catch up and go, you know, it was Jeff Seaman from Search Ministry, mm-hmm. quite frankly, was right. the first that came up and said, well, you have an di- additional message than what yeah. you're saying here. Mm. And I started working with Jeff, and that's where the, the faith-based side started yeah. to come out. But I was really doing it because I had to get out in front of this PR issue I had, which was was pretty bad. So is that how you didn't allow that event to define you? Because I know I allowed it to define me for a while because I... 
one, I didn't think I was forgivable. Same process we went through, right? But I know there's people that are listening who have salvation, know God, are good Christians, but they still allow their past to define them. So what was it about you making a decision not to allow your past to define you? How did you do it? Well, that's really what the book's about, right? I mean, the five bold choices, and the first choice is clarity. And for me, I had written down that I was going to be a CEO by the time I'm 40, Mm. and I made it at Lawson at 41 Mm -hmm. with the accident, with going to jail, you know, with the probation and everything else. So for me, the the first way I wasn't going to let it define me is is I was had clarity of who I wanted to be. Mm. The second point is accountability, which is where my motivation came from. That's my second choice. And let me give you a story of why that matters. So when I'm in a hospital, the nurses came to me one day and they said, you know, your daughter's coming in to see you. Mm. And Alexa, it was probably 10 at the time, maybe nine. And this is after I, and I accepted Christ so I could see again and feel again and such, but I'm still a mess. <laughs> and I said, you know, but first I go, what, what do I look like? And they, they, you know, they help, they, they go, you're not going to like what you see. <laughs> 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 they help a mirror, a mirror for me. And, you know, I look like Keith Richards, you know, before, <laughs> before he's had his second pack of cigarettes, you know, <laughs> and my hair is a mess. I had that yellow color. And sure. It was the beginnings of accountability kicking me in mm. because I was not only going to be defined, not by, be defined by my worst moment from a career perspective, I had a thing called dad kicking in. Mm. And, you know, dad was not allowed to lay in the bed anymore. Mm. I mean, I didn't get out of the bed for a while, but I was like, it was what kicked me in the gear to say, you don't have a choice to lay here. You, you, got, you got a family here that you got to kick it into gear. So the accountability started to kick in for me and that started to motivate me. You know, I mean, it was a long journey, but, but you're um, needed and that's important to know, it, right? It was, it was, so it was a lot of, it wasn't just one choice. It was multiple choices, but the clarity and accountability kicked in right away for me to say, okay, don't want to be defined by that. I got better things I want to do, including back to being a dad, father, you know, husband, sure. and in addition to wanting to be a CEO. What, what did accountability look like though? I mean, is that, is that something that you just did your, you held yourself accountable or you had a group or you had your wife? Well, initially accountability for me was, was just me individually being accountable for not being defined by the worst moment. Then it was accountable for the family. Then it was accountable to the Lawson brothers, quite frankly, for what they were doing for me. They were extremely graceful through the whole process and allowing me to continue to work. Mm -hmm. But I think what it ultimately became was about continuous learning for me. So I never let success be anything more than learning. Mm-hmm. I always tell people, and you and I have talked about it yeah. briefly, is you need to celebrate success. Most men don't. Right. Right. You know, if you had a success, you move on. I go, whoa, wait a minute. Life's a journey. You're going to have, you're gonna need some energy. You need to celebrate success. Most people don't celebrate success because they haven't told anybody what their goal was. Right. All right. So the first thing is celebrate it. And then what did you learn? What did you do right? Right. And then the bigger level, what I I just went through this discussion with my son about failure, mm. you know, because that's going to happen along the way. And for me, I never failed. It was just how was I going to learn? Mm. And every what do you want to call it? You know, step back, drop back, failure, whatever title you want to give it. Sure. It was just how do I how do I learn? And for me, it was you know a process which we've discussed called debrief, which was the first thing was what did I do right? Or if I was with a group, what did we do right? Now, when you fail, what's the obvious question most people start out with? Yeah. What did you do wrong? Right. Right? It sets the whole tone and paradigm wrong. So I always start with what did you do right because you probably did something right. Right. 
Second question, with the value of hindsight, what would you do differently? And then third one, what are you going to change? Mm -hmm. So accountability became not about me worried about how you were going to hold me accountable to what was wrong. My accountability became about continuous learning. Hmm. And then as I started to work with others, I realized it was about encouragement. And meaning men don't, I think men and women, but I know men mainly don't get much encouragement. Right. And the, because of that, they're going through life worn out. And so for me, you got to take some people along this journey called life. Yeah. And all along the way, you know, you got to get some encouragement. And when you get the encouragement and continue learning, then the hurdles are realistic to get over. That's why accountability is motivational for me. Not because I'm going to give you a hard time and say, why didn't you do something? Right. The real reality is how do I encourage you to do it? Because you're going to struggle along the way. Yeah. Because life's a struggle. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, appreciating the journey is there as well. And mm. I see way too many people not appreciating the journey. Well, you described already two of the five bold choices. So clarity and accountability. What are the other three? The other ones are adaptability. So having the ability to adapt and change. Mm. The fourth is confidence, which is all about how do you get your credibility? You know, how do you have your confidence? And it, you do that by keeping things in the right, proper perspective. Mm -hmm. And then the last one is probably the hardest one. It's called balance. You know, how to stay in balance in a life where, you know, there's all sorts of things that will pull you out of balance. And I find when I do executive coaching, you know, I don't start there, but that's the one I usually got to get their heads around and say, you got to get back in balance. You're out of balance. <laughs> is that the one that you find most business leaders struggle with the most is the balance part? Most successful business leaders because they have the other four already. Uh -huh. Right now, unsuccessful or people who haven't achieved much, whether that's in business or you know nonprofit, faith-based world, they struggle with all the choices. But mm -hmm. successful people in whatever category you're in are doing some of the other things right, and so doing the other things have taken them out of balance. I know because I was out of balance, you know, multiple times, especially lost in running a public company. Uh, and you're, this life's a journey. If you don't get in balance, you pretty much going to burn out. Yeah. You know? So who's inspired you to kind of maintain balance? I mean, when you were assimilating these choices as a leader at Lawson, and I'm, I'm guessing you didn't just wake up out of the hospital or in jail and write down, oh, I've got five bold choices I need to make, right? Yeah. This is all probably something that just assimilated over time, right? But as you're reflecting on how you maintain your own balance, driving an organization that had a lot of demands on it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you had a board member that wanted to know the quarterly reports one yeah. minute after it was filed, right? Yeah, yeah. How did you manage doing that? I mean, how how did you make those adjustments for yourself? Certainly the five-ball choices only came when the book, and I had to go back yeah, and say, yeah. well, how did I do How did I? Of course, right? yeah, that's how it works. At the time, you're going, you know, you're just trying to survive. <laughs> but I think the balance one came from, remember we were talking about how the goals changed? right. Well, they, they changed from faith being last to first and family being second and work being last, you know. Now, I still put a disproportionate amount of time into work, but I would review those goals every three months. And when I would look at the goals at the end of three months, I would say, what adjustments do I need to make? And if I was, quote, un out of balance or not prioritizing to the way I had put my priorities down, because mainly because of work, I would have to adjust. Or just be a hypocrite to what I was writing down, mm -hmm. right? And almost inevitable, each quarter work was the thing that was taking me out of balance. So there's times, and I, when I coach guys, I'll say there's times where work takes you out of balance. Mm -hmm. that, and, that, and that's just going to be it. And sometimes you got to do that. Don't stay out of balance. 
So Lawson, I would I would be in a fourth gear, which meant you know you could be doing a fifty hour week. It was just, it was just normal. And you go to a fifth gear, which meant more time. You go to a sixth gear, which meant, you know, you're doing that 70, 80, 90 hour week. And the problem for me is I could stay there and it felt normal. Mm -hmm. I think that's true for many successful leaders is they get acclimated to the pace. It's part of the, it's part of the drill. And the problem with that is who are you hurting? And you're hurting, you know, your family, you're hurting your health. Usually you're hurting all the other things that would be on any kind of sheet called goals for me. And so every three months, I'd go back and, wow, I'm out of bounds. i got to make an adjustment. Mm-hmm. By the way, you could be out of bounds in a, in a really warped way. You could go on vacation for two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> you could be out of bounds. Right. right? Now you got to maybe go back to work or, you know, are you, yeah. seeing, are you seeing your friends enough? So for me. Well, you can be mentally out of balance, too, and not, in, not in the necessi- necessarily as a depression or anything else, but you could be at work but checked out, not giving your best. You know, just like going through the motions. Or worse, you or, could be at home and checked out. And checked out at home, right. exactly. Yeah, because yeah. now you're, you might as well still be at work. Right. And I find that one more often than not is the reality. Because you're, you're at home, but you're not at home. Yeah, you're so a zombie. So you want to say, I want to be with my kids. Well, you, you might as well be at work because you're not really with your kids. You're, you're, you're thinking about work. Yeah. So for me, that's what started, Larry, was for me to say my results aren't what I put down as my objectives. And so I had to make adjustments. And that's when balance really started to come into play. Now, with that said, what I did find is the more balance I was in, the more energy I had, the better leader I was, the better leader I was at work, the better leader I was at home, arguably in the community as well. You're a more integrated person, right? I could get more done by being in balance Mm -hmm. than I could by being out of balance. Mm -hmm. So... When when I coach these executives, I say the goal isn't for you to – I'm not here to tell you how you're going to work less. Mm-hmm. I want to get more accomplished while you get in balance mm-hmm. because you'll have more energy. You'll be more focused. You know, you'll lead better. And you're not able to do that if you're worn out mm-hmm. and burnt out. Now, recently you put all this stuff in the Five Bold Choices book. Why did you write it? What caused you to sit down and say, I think there are some things here that – I, I, I used going through this process. I'm going to put it into a book. Talk about what, what brought that to mind. Well, first I had to find somebody who could write. And Larry <laughs> Julian was sitting across the table from me at breakfast. And he <laughs> thought it was a good idea. I said, okay, let's go for it. But the real reason was I speak a lot. And it was amazing to me after I got done speaking. And Armin, I'm sure you've had this happen as well. The people will come up to you and give you a lot of feedback. And a lot of it's nice and you feel good about it. But I was amazed at how many, uh, mainly men, would come up to me and unload on me really some some serious stuff. And I think it was mainly for two reasons. One, I just explained my vulnerabilities. Yeah. And two, they didn't think I was going to judge them. Mm-hmm. And therefore, and they had nowhere else to go. So they were opening sure. up to a complete stranger who was just speaking. Right. And what that led me to say is this is a message, this is a God's message that can get out there to a lot of people. And I'm never going to be able to speak to enough. And so the idea being that, you know, I coach one-on-one, you speak to one to many, and a book is a way to get the people that maybe I'll never, ever meet. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, you know, they can get the, the goal here is how do you redefine your life, you know, and, and not be defined by your worst moment, but you get to write the rest of your story, whatever you really want that to be. Yeah, I love that. Well, how do our listeners find out more about you, Jay? You can go to True Balance, T-R-U-B-A-L-A-N-C-E-D. Uh, it's a website I have. Or Jay at truebounce.com okay. and, and contact me. All right. And we'll have all the links to that in our show notes. Any last questions, Armin, for Jay? No, you know, just one last statement. The thing that I love about you, Jay, is, and maybe I shouldn't be sharing this. Maybe I should be. I have no idea, but <laughs> we'll I have, find out in a minute. Yeah. 
I've found, I, I've watched you walk away from very very significant offers to CEO multi billion dollar organizations and you do it for the sake of knowing that you're on a mission to raise today's leaders and to inspire them and to be with them and support them and man I think you do it in a way like this is what I want to do but I I think your heart is in such a good place that you don't even realize how much you walk away from for the sake of schmucks like me. <laughs> and man, I, I, I just want I just want to say how much I appreciate you and how what an honor it's been to just have you here and have you in my life. And if anyone is even listening and you need an executive coach, you got two of the best that I know sitting next to me. <laughs> well thank you, Armin. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah man, I sincerely mean that. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Yeah thanks Jay, for thanks me. for being on the show. All right, Armin. Well, we've kicked Jay out of the studio now, and we can we can talk about him. That's right, behind his back, because he'll never hear this. That's right. I just enjoy having our friend here on this program, and in person, actually. It's a lot of fun to be able to do it that way, too. There's so much takeaway here. Yeah. But I'll let you start. I'll jump in. You know that. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm kind of a groupie, so I can, I can go for a while. But... Here's what I love about Jay is that he could speak and talk and write and give advice from the place of his successes, but the beauty of what Jay does is he learned more from his failures, his pains, his agony, his grief, and I know it's easy for people to say, I can't learn from this guy or he's so far beyond me that I, I can't relate to him or he can't relate to me. But I think the way Jay wrote this book and the advice that he gives is that every single person can take it and run with it. And that's why he kept it so simple with those five bold choices. And I'll say the one that impacted my life the most is I realized confidence was an issue for me. And it wasn't because I was an insecure person, but it was because I just didn't have the type of perspective that I needed. And one of the first points he pointed out was clarity, right? He says Mm -hmm. one of the first five bold choices. And it's amazing how much each one of those points he gives just feed off each other. Yeah. And the two that I saw that fed off each other the most was clarity and confidence. Mm -hmm. I had so much more confidence when I had more clarity. Yes. You know? And so I know there's advice in here that people might try to dismiss without reading the book, but I'm just, just read it connect with them. If you're an executive, reach out to him. That's the man knows what he's talking about. He's he's not just creating fluff. This stuff works. Yeah, you know what as I was listening to you kind of debrief there, what struck me is that you're describing what he's written as being very accessible to people at right. whatever level they're at. Yeah. And it occurred to me as you were talking about that that that's kind of how he is as well. I mean, he is a very accessible guy. 100%. And, and, you know, he talked about humility, and, you know, it's kind of one of those things you can take pride in your own humility. <laughs> I, don't think, <laughs> I don't think Jay was doing that as much as to say that's a big thing that he learned, and it certainly has been my experience with him. He is an accessible person, and right. even when he was very busy as a CEO or whatever, he, it wasn't like you – it wasn't like you ever got the impression that he was too busy for you. Right. Or too you know? good for you. Or too good for you. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that comes from, you know, part of what he said, there's something to learn 
in many different situations. And he sees himself as a lifelong learner, and that's yeah. that's pretty cool. Now, one of the things that stood out to me, and he said it several times, and I think really it's kind of the epicenter of the book, and really that's kind of the subtitle of the book in some ways, but it is not to be defined by your worst moment. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, there's so Obviously. many of us will drag on things from our past or whatever, and it shapes us. Mm-hmm. And we end up wanting to either spin it, forget it, overcome it, you know, some way it's still there. It's that hole that somehow never gets filled. And I love that he basically just described, you know, without knowing that's what he went through, but in retrospect, looking at it, that's what he went through. And that's what describes these five bold choices you can make that those are the things that he did to say, you know what, I am the one who can define where I spend the rest of my energies. Yeah, and one of the things, and I'm so glad he said it in this interview, is he said, I I was constantly surrounded by people telling me what I can't do. And I realized listening to them is going to take me into a place that I just don't want to be. And I eventually just had to push them out of my life because I, 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 I had to focus on where I wanted to go. And it's so funny because of my background, because of the experiences that I've had. I'm sorry, this is going to sound... Like I'm bitter. I'm not. But especially in the Christian community, <laughs> you will hear more people tell you what you can't do than what you can do. Wait a minute. We're a community of faith. Right. What are you talking about? Yeah. And it's the weirdest thing to me, right? Like, Armin, you can't do this role in a church because you are this or you don't have that. Armin, you can't do this in the business world because this. Like, There's always a thousand excuses that people throw your way when you're going to them and saying, Hey, how could I get there? Like the last thing you want to hear is you telling them that why they can't, mm-hmm. you know, at least help guide the person to figure out why maybe they shouldn't, yeah. not why they can't. Mm-hmm. And I love that about Jay is when you commit to something, surround yourself by the people that will help you get there, not the people that will create doubt and fear. Well, I wonder if, if we could tie a couple concepts together, because one of the other things I took note of as he was talking was that we often don't take time to celebrate successes. And, oh, and yeah. I think that that's really, so good. that's really true. Right. Yeah. And he tied that to, because we don't have clarity about what it is we're trying to pursue. And that may be, but I wonder if there's something else that might be going on and it ties into what you just were talking about, which is, I wonder if we don't come at the world through a failure lens, oh, we're yeah. always looking for the failure, either, in ourselves to be shamed about and and we carry it with us or we look for failures in others in in some ways so we can gloat that we're not them right <laughs> or point out that hey this is where you're likely to fail in other words we become so afraid that we are going to make a mistake and we are going to somehow risk something and lose something that we stay immobile yeah. and people don't like it when you move and you try to do something that's against what they might be comfortable with because somehow that says to them that, hey, I, I'm not listening to you. I'm not valuing advice that tells me to stay put and stay comfortable. Right. And so they want it. They, you know, people want to, of course, have their advice followed. Right? That's right. <laughs> for your life. God loves you and I have a plan for your life. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. I think that's about it. And here's the thing is I've had conversations with both you and Jay where you guys have talked me out of doing something, right? But it, it wasn't it wasn't about what I could not do, what I wasn't capable of doing. It was like, is this it, it was a conversation that basically went, is this the route that you actually want to go? Mm-hmm. Is this what you feel like you're supposed to do? Is this what you feel like aligns with God? 
is the, the, do you know what I'm saying? It was oh, a totally. series of questions that didn't make me feel like an incompetent schmuck that shouldn't do something because I'm ca- incapable of it. It was like, is it was basically, does this is this the path that you really want to? Yeah, walk it's back down? to that number one bold choice is a clarity. Is what is it that you want? Right. What is it that God's wired you to do, and how do you best serve Him and all of that? And I've had so many times in my own life where I've not had clarity on those things, and I've gone off, you know, yeah. and spent a lot of time <laughs> only to find that. That wasn't what I wanted to do. Right. It wasn't who I was. Right. And I was doing it to please other people. Or or improve yourself. Right. Or something. I don't even know. Now we can tie this in again. Let me let me take one more thread and see if I can stitch it. Because right. he talked about accountability. Yes. And you asked a really good question about accountability, which was, you know, are we talking about, you know, these groups of people and all the rest? But he basically came down and says, he didn't use this word, but what I heard was it's what's inside me. It's intrinsic accountability. It's my responsibility I have to my family, the things that are important to me I want to live up to. Right. Am I becoming the man or the woman that I want to become? Right. And that intrinsic accountability is really key if you're going to make any change in your life, right? And that's right. what I think drove him to walk through that painful trial that he went through to make the changes that he needed to make in his life and to see that, hey, I can embrace a better future and not be defined by my past. That's right. That's Yeah. Jay has this way of (laughs) simplifying some of the biggest questions that people deal with in life. And if, if this is a podcast meant to help people go and pursue the call that God has on their life and pursue the bold ideas that they have. Jay's book is one of those books that people should just read because it helps them create a structure of how to boldly pursue that bold call or that bold idea. Because I think that's what scares a lot of people when it comes to pursuing the bold idea or the bold call is that how how do you do it? What system do I set up? There's just so many unknowns, and his process helps you eliminate a lot of those unknowns. Yeah, and I think we can all benefit from a guy who's gone through that kind of transformation, look back and say, okay, these were the anchor points that were important for me. These were the choices that right. I didn't necessarily know at the time I was making them, but we can learn from that, and we can say, all right, let's apply that to the situation I'm in now. How would I respond to those five bold choices myself? Well, we're going to have all the links to his book and his resources and all the rest will be on the show notes. You'll find that at boldideapodcast.com slash 16 because this is episode 16. And we would love to hear what your thoughts are on Jay's story, on the choices that he outlines there, the bold choices. What are some of the things that you have found going through difficult circumstances in your life, the choices that you've made that were important? Let us know. Leave a comment for us at boldideapodcast.com slash 16 or call our show line at 612-568-IDEA, 612-568-4332. We'd love to hear from you. And if it's a question for Jay, don't hesitate to send it our way or leave it in the comment box. We, I'll take it to Jay and see if I can't get him to answer it for you. More than likely he will because oh, yeah. I like to rape his time. <laughs> I wish you wouldn't use that word. <laughs> I like to abuse his time. There we go. <laughs> All right. Well, this is Larry Gates. And Armina Sa. And we're saying so long for this week, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit boldideapodcast.com. <laughs>